RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It really does help us out a lot when you do that. I, I always like to hear listener feedback. So as always, you can call or text me at 855-LAWFATHER or hit me up on the show's email address, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. So in today's show, we're going to get into a few things. Uh, number one thing we want to get into is the Washington Redskins. Uh, we talked about this in the last podcast. And news as of early this morning is that the Redskins will be changing their name. And we don't know what that name is going to be. And we haven't had an actual official announcement at the taping of this podcast uh, in terms of that the name is going to change. But seemingly, it's a a smart move by the Redskins. I mean, let's look. The the Redskins have not been a dominant factor in the NFC East for a long time now. And I think there are going to be some ancillary benefits to them with doing this. And we talked a little bit about last time the the financial impact that FedEx and Nike was trying to impose on the Redskins to change the name. And I think in a lot of ways, changing the name actually has the reverse impact than what FedEx and Nike was attempting to do. And I think when a, a team, A, when you see a team change their logo or their color scheme, you see a Big boost in sales, uh, merchandise sales, jersey sales, hats, shirts, you name it, those sales go up because what you previously had was largely irrelevant. So we look at the Redskins now and the Washington football team, uh, as there is no new name yet, and we know that the name is going to be changing. I expect to see a, a pretty large increase in merchandise sales because everybody who owned Redskins gear is now going to be irrelevant gear and there's going to be new gear. So really interesting to see that play out. From what I understand, the the color scheme is going to stay the same. And I'm going to make a prediction right here on the podcast. Uh, Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, the majority owner of the Redskins, had previously worked on a potential arena team for Washington. And that name was going to be the Warriors. Uh, so Take a look, and here is my prediction for the new name for the Redskins, that it'll be the Warriors, okay, with uh, probably seemingly no nod to any kind of Native American imagery. So that is my prediction for the Redskins, so watch for that, the Washington Warriors, a little bit of alliteration there, so I think that fits the mold pretty well. Uh, And just kind of want to touch on the name the Redskins for a moment, because Previously, about seven years ago, uh, Dan Snyder had said, hey, we will never change the name of the Redskins. And I think we come up to a point where uh, I was talking to Ian Beckles last week, and we were talking about a lot of different things. And words sometimes change meaning over time. Now, the Washington franchise has been around for many, many, many years in football. And you know, not saying whether or not the term Redskins changed meaning over time, but I, I think to what we as society view it as has changed meaning over time. And and there's a lot of other examples of words that have changed names uh, over the course of history and over the course of time where a word that was previously accepted as being accurate and acceptable to describe a group no longer is. Okay, Now, there are certain words that have always been improper and I always will be improper. But there are 
there are some set some subset of words that have changed over time. Uh, one of the ones that I, I'm thinking of right off the top of my head is uh, people with disabilities. That the terminology has changed over time as we've kind of grown and learned and understanding a little bit more about some of these things. And you see that there's a lot of different examples of that. And I think that's where the Redskins name change in 2020 really means a lot and really had the push to do so is that things kind of change over time and you follow the times. So that's where they are with the Redskins name change. Now, look, uh, as an NFL agent, really kind of deeply ingrained into some of the NFL pieces and additionally as an attorney, knowing how a lot of the processes work and I would be really shocked to see, really shocked that if we saw a new name for the Redskins with a new logo and new merchandise in time for the 2020 NFL season, assuming the 2020 NFL season happens on time like we expect it to. Uh, Trademarking, merchandising, even having things printed takes time. Creating a jersey takes time. Now, for the Redskins, maybe a little bit easier because the only place that Redskins shows up on the current jerseys is a little patch right uh, in the middle of the chest of the uniform. So probably really easy to recreate and may even be able to just pop the that piece off, maybe replace it with Washington. Who knows? But there are going to be some challenges this year. So that is where we are with the Redskins saga, if you will. Uh, look forward to seeing what the actual name is. And remember, you heard it here on the Lawfather podcast. Lawfather's prediction is it'll be the Washington Warriors. So there we have it for the football news of the day. Changing gears here slightly, we at the law firm are welcoming a new attorney today. So, you know, I just want to take this opportunity to maybe take a look back and look at who the law father is, who I am, William Frankie. And, you know, on the podcast, a lot of times I refer to the law father. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'd like to maybe tell you all who I am and, and who the law firm is, Frankie Injury Law, which actually started out as Frankie Law. Not a big difference there, but you know, a little bit of the name change telling us a little bit more of who we are and what we do. So let's take a look back three years ago, three plus years ago, actually going on four now, kind of losing track of time here in this uh, crazy 2020 time. But started out at a personal injury firm seven years ago and three years ago left that firm and started Frankie Law. And, you know, Frankie Law started with 40 cases from my old firm. And I had a, a couple buddies who owned a local business and they had had their own office. And so they said, hey, anytime you need a, a conference room, you need a, a little cubicle to sit in, you know, in between meetings and things, we have you. There's a spot right here and you can use our conference room and largely worked from home uh, other than that. And that experience has actually helped us get to where we are now. It's actually helped us in this 2020 time because working from home had to be extremely mobile. So we started the firm as a we, by we, I actually mean I, started this firm as a paperless law firm with an iPad and a laptop that could go anywhere and do anything and meet with clients and be at any place at any given time and be able to provide a service just as if I was sitting at my old law firm with stacks of 
paper files. And I found the paper files always to be really cumbersome because if you didn't have the actual file with you, you really couldn't work on the case. But if you got up early on a Saturday morning and you wanted to work on the case, you either had to go to the office or just go off of memory. So that's how we started off. It started off at a, at a home office in a conference room. We grew from there to uh, moving back to Ebor. So I, I started my my legal career off in Ebor, which actually nice little nexus there because the sheriff's office main office for Hillsborough County is in Ebor uh, on Eighth Avenue. So to take a step back, as you may have heard before, prior to even getting into the legal profession, spent six years in law enforcement. Really woke up one day was at the University of Tampa and. Called my dad and go, hey, yeah, baseball is not going to be something that's going to work out for me as a career. And my main thought was that I was going to coach. Well, decided after Tommy John surgery that that wasn't really the path that I wanted to go. So literally woke up one morning and go, hey, dad, you know what? I'm going to go be a a sheriff's deputy. I'm going to go to the police academy. And that's what we're going to do. So that's that's where that kind of started. Went to law school while I was there. Uh, started the law school process three years in when I was at Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. Actually started my first classes in year four when I was at Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. Uh, And I want to thank both of those sheriff's offices for uh, all the support over that time. Hillsborough really bent over backwards in allowing me to be able to attend classes and do what I needed to do. Uh, Just as a little aside, Hillsborough, uh, when you go to a new agency, you have to go through what's called field training. So even though I had three years of experience, I had to learn how to do it the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office way, more or less different policies, procedures. And they want to make sure that you're doing things their way and actually that you're doing things correctly. Uh, but I remember asking to be put on the midnight shift throughout that time. Typically, they'll move you from midnight shift to day shift to the swing shift, which was uh, the swing shift was 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., uh, really kind of encompassing the busiest time that the sheriff's office would see. and I said, hey, look, I, I have law school. Uh, my classes are in the mornings. Can I work the overnight shift so I can go to classes in the mornings? And overwhelmingly got the blessing and was able to go from there. So I, I do want to thank the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for all they did for me to, to help me and allow me to get through law school. So that said, that takes us back to where we are, where we are and how Frankie Law got to where it is today. And we now have three attorneys as of today, as of uh, the airing of this podcast. So really, you know, kind of explosive growth over three and a half years that we've been around. And so when we moved back to Ebor, we had basically a closet. (laughs) We had uh, a case manager that sat in literally, uh, if you're a if you were in the podcast studio that we're in, it's about a 10 by 10 room. The closet was about five feet deep by maybe seven or eight feet wide. So the case manager sat in there. They had a conference room, so we were able to use that conference room. And I still, by and large, worked at home. We made some moves. And you know, through, through having really great clients over time, we were able to grow and continue to grow and move from the closet into an actual office in the same building and still kept pressing on from there. And and look, I, it comes down to this. I always want to provide the best service 
ever for a client. And I never want any client to feel like they were treated like the next client in line. Every client's case is unique. Every client's situation is unique. Every case is a little bit different. There are no truly the same facts and cases. I could take two cases that are two rear end crashes, both with $5,000 of property damage, but there's going to be major differences beyond that because you're going to be talking about individuals and individuals who have different prior life experiences in terms of what they do for work, what pressures have been put on their bodies, even just their body composition structure. And I don't mean from a small, large, short, tall perspective, just internally how their body is structured in terms of are they more susceptible to an injury or not. So everybody's unique. And and we look at it also, we have to be very real and frank about it. We have to look at each and every person's financial situation because a lot of times that car that was in that crash is that person's only mode of transportation and they need to get to work and they need to go grocery shopping and they need to do this and that and pick the kids up from day to get daycare. So there's a lot of different factors at play and every person is unique. And, and so for us, for me, every case is unique. And that's one thing that we've instilled over time uh, in this law firm is that every single case is unique and every single person's situation is going to be taken as as it is best for them. There is no one size fits all here. And I've worked in essentially one size fits all firm where it was, we go get the policy limits. And if we don't get the policy limits, then we're going to go into litigation and we're going to try to explain to the client why that has to be. And all of a sudden you're in a process that should take six to 12 months and you've now made it two years, two plus years before that client really sees any financial relief. So that was one of the things carrying that over that I looked at and said, how can we do things differently? And you know, one of the things, one of the taglines that we started off with and we we changed it because the the bar said we couldn't quantify it. And that's fine. And, and I I don't want to overstep, but one of the things, one of the taglines was welcome to a new legal experience. And the thought process behind that was was in leaving and, and starting a new firm, that this was going to be something different. It was going to be something unique. It wasn't going to be, we're going to handle every case the same way and that we're just going to churn them out, get them in, get them out. That's not how we're going to run things. So that was the thought process as we started out. And that still carries through today. And every attorney that comes in is going to follow that same process. And I can tell you, even as we grow, I'm still going to be involved in every case. I always want to talk to every client. And I think that's where things may change a little bit as firms get bigger. Uh, I don't know if you ever get to talk to that main attorney. And I always want to be that person who's always there for you, whether it's a text message or a phone call. You have a question about your case, you're not sure. I want to be that person that you can reach out and touch and talk to. So that that's where we kind of get to. Um, like I said, we have three attorneys now. And one of them is running for judge. So come, uh, come, what is it, November, we may, may have two and need to backfill that slot in. And, you know, it, it's going to be a mix as we look at, at the growth and saying, what do we, how do we provide the same personal touch that we've been able to provide over the first three and a half years? How do we do that 
moving into the future. Cause that's one of the things that I've really always wanted to do was have that personal touch. And you know, one of the things that, that we say now is we say, welcome to the family. And I truly mean that. And, and family is very, very important. And, you know, we don't necessarily showcase it on social media anymore. Uh, it really was a byproduct of finding that there's, there's some interesting characters on social media. So didn't necessarily want to put my three-year-old and soon to be 11 month old out there in the spotlight and in the limelight where there's, like I said, some interesting characters out there, but family is very important to me. Family is very important to everybody who works in my law firm. That's kind of part of the vetting process as we look at who do we bring in. And it's not just about, can you do the job? It's, do you fit in with us? Do you fit in with what the goal is and that we want to provide really an exceptional service? And we actually put that in writing. There's the Frankie Injury Law Promise. I'm not going to bore you with it on the podcast, but you know, I do invite you to go take a look at the website and take a look at that. And, and it really boils down to this. My goal on every single case is to exceed expectations. Okay. So that's that's where we get to. And that's really how I've spent my entire adult life is what can I do to exceed expectations? When we go back to the sheriff's office days, it was always, what can I do better? How can I do this? Never saying no to any assignment that was given. So, you know, that's, that's kind of some of the things. I mean, look, I, I've done everything from uh, prote- protecting President Obama to undercover work when the sheriff saw when the sheriff at Pinellas County was having prank phone calls uh, and when it wasn't really the most popular assignment which we actually got shut down from the undercover work because somebody exposed it to the news media that we were spending at the county was spending county dollars trying to track down prank phone calls um, but it was somewhat interesting just sitting and watching uh, pay phones <laughs> that was literally what we did that day but all the way through, never, like I said, never saying no to an assignment and kind of moving from there. So that's that's where the law firm is today. That's where the law father is today as well. Uh, you know, I, I do get a decent amount of questions from college students of how did you get to where you are? So just want to take a moment and really take even a, a further step back and get into how did we actually get to the sheriff's office in that point? So just just to kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse, was recruited to play baseball at Western Carolina University, went down there. So uh, Northeastern kid, New Jersey, South Jersey, about 10 minutes outside of Philadelphia, going down to the mountains of Western North Carolina. Quite the culture shock. Um, learned a lot of new things. Um, the Yankees to me at that time was the New York Yankees. Uh, I didn't really know that there was the term Yankee and it had a different connotation and a different meaning. Uh, however, I learned that very quickly as a freshman in classes when it was, oh, you're a Yankee. And it took me a while to figure out that it's because I was from the North. So <laughs> really different, really uh, a lot of culture shock there. It was really small town, very, really rural area. It's actually a place that only exists because the college is there. Uh, after a year and a half there, left there, came to the University of Tampa. And you know, the University of Tampa is where it, it really, I found my home. 
at that point. Uh, maybe didn't know that in 2003 when I got there, but moving through as I went from sophomore, junior, senior, and super senior, fifth year, um, learned that this is where I want to be. This is where I want to stay. And there was really no thought process of going back up to New Jersey and really wanted to put roots in here, started developing contacts. That's how I actually got in with the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office was I did an internship there. So that's how we started. And, and I've carried that love for the University of Tampa and the city of Tampa as a whole through to the law firm. And that's really the goal is that we are a Tampa law firm and we are here for the people of Tampa. And, and you know, it's it's difficult because you have a lot of people who have been born and raised in Tampa and they're really ingrained in the community because they've been born and raised here. And sometimes it's difficult as being a transplant, but I'll tell you what, someone asked me, hey, where are you from? It's no longer, hey, I'm from Jersey. No, I'm from Tampa. That's what it is. That That is my home. That That is all my kids will likely know. Um, you know, Philadelphia Eagles were my football team forever. I still root for the Eagles, but I'm a Bucks fan. Uh, my dad grew up in Boston, so probably always going to be a Red Sox fan. You know, just kind of how it is. I grew up a Red Sox fan and always will be. Uh, there's something magical about Fenway Park, but my kids are not going to grow up Red Sox fans. They can like the Red Sox. I, honestly, I, I'm not going to force them any, like any one given team, but they're going to get exposed to the Tampa Bay Rays as long as we have a team, and hopefully we continue to have a team way out into the future here. Okay, but Tampa's my home. Tampa, all the Tampa teams are my hometown, hometown teams. So that's where, where we are. Okay, that's how the law father got to be the law father. And if we you know, take a look back at how the law father came about, one of my teammates at the University of Tampa, who still extremely close, although he's moved uh, and lives in a different state now, but he's one of those guys that was actually born and raised in the Valrico area, so local to here. And he's the one who came up with the law father name. So a lot of ties in, in that sense. And that's really where this comes from. And this is where the law firm comes from and where William Frankie as an individual comes from. I did my law school at Stetson, which is based in Gulfport, but did a lot of the classes on the Tampa campus, as many as I could, because while well, I was working in Tampa and I lived in Tampa. So um, it was a easier drive than getting over to, to Gulfport at 8 a.m. after a 12-hour shift that ended at 7 a.m. But be it as it may, that's that's where we were. That is who the law father is. And you know, I invite you if you ever you know, want to talk about anything. You want to talk about the Eagles. You want to talk about uh, growing up in South Jersey or anything else. Hit me up, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. Uh, if you ever want to know a little bit more about how William Frankie got from being a college kid in Tampa to running a law firm in Tampa, you know, I, by all means, I welcome those conversations. Uh, I do a decent amount of speaking at the University of Tampa. So I do enjoy talking about those different things. And uh, one of the things that people usually want to talk about is being a sports agent. And that's one of the things that has kind of developed over time and kind of grew from the ground up. So 
uh, you know, we're always, always willing to talk about that. So that is William Frankie in a nutshell. That is Frankie Law in a nutshell. And as I kind of mentioned as we started this thing, we now go by Frankie Injury Law, uh, less going by Frankie Law, because that's what we do. We do injury law. You get hurt, you call us. And that's that's the thing is we want to show that this is what we do, and this is, A, what we're good at, but B, this is what we spend our time learning more and more and more about. Right. Once you stop learning about these things, you stop getting better at it. And there is no point where you're the best of the best of the best in something like this because the law is always changing. Okay. So kind of an interesting point there. But like I said, if you ever want to talk, 855 Lawfather. If you want to know more about the firm, anything else, please uh give me a call. Also, just as a side note, I do have a book that discusses a lot of this and goes into a lot more detail than I ever could about who I am, who the law firm is, and really what to expect. And if you want a copy of it, I'll give it to you for free. Just hit me up, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. So that said, that's kind of enough about about me. Um, I don't necessarily love talking about myself. So that was a little bit difficult of of a topic to get into, but I thought it was really important to get into that a little bit. But we do have one listener question today. And in this area... Frontier has had some issues with some of their uptime and in terms of uh, Frontier, uh, the internet provider. And the question was, hey, my internet's been down for two days. And what liability does Frontier have if my house were to get broken into because my alarm system is tied into that Wi-Fi? So let's look at this for one one brief moment. And a lot of that's going to come down to contractual obligations. What does Frontier have in their contract? What does Frontier guarantee you in your contract with them that says what your rights are or what your rights are not? And highly likely, Frontier has something in that contract that they don't necessarily guarantee an uptime. Uptime meaning that the internet is up and running and working. And if you don't have that, then it's going to be really difficult to proceed in any kind of contract action. Now, could you make it a negligence case? And, you know, as I talked a lot about being an injury law firm, we deal with negligence, okay? And pretty much anytime anybody's injured, we're looking at, was it negligent? And could you have some negligence on the part of Frontier for letting a network be down for an extended period of time? Probably difficult to ascertain because you'd have to come down to the root cause of that network being down. And do they have a duty to protect your house via the Wi-Fi, right? So when we're talking about a negligence action, we're always looking at duty, breach, causation, and damages, okay? That is the legal explanation of what a negligence case is. Does that person have a duty? Does Frontier have a duty to provide you internet? Contractually, yes. But does that duty carry over to if someone breaks into your house? Okay. Did they breach that duty? Okay. So if they if they do have a duty, did they do something to cause them to not fulfill that duty? Okay. Was the the cause of your injury or and it doesn't have to be a physical injury, okay? It could be financial. So someone breaks into your house and you have financial loss, that's your injury. Was the cause of that due to 
the internet being down. And there may be another point, point where you have a difficulty proving it. Somebody breaks into your house. Did they break into your house because they knew that your internet was down and therefore your alarm system wouldn't work? I don't know. That would be a really interesting question and probably really difficult to get into and show. Okay, now you'd maybe have to catch that person, arrest that person, and get a statement from that person. Well, you probably you could probably get away without arresting the person. You could probably uh, depose that person on the civil side without them being arrested. It might be kind of difficult to get them to ever want to talk to you, okay? Because they'd have to admit to committing a crime. But if you could get them to go, yeah, I broke into that house because I knew that that house had no internet and then their alarm system was tied to their internet. So I broke in because I knew I could get in and get out, not be seen, not be heard, nothing else, okay? Probably a little strenuated, probably uh, not going to happen. It'd be kind of interesting to see a case like that if you did. Um, probably uh, wouldn't be one of the smartest criminals ever because they would be admitting to a crime. And you actually do have a constitutional right that uh, you don't have to... Uh, divulge crimes that you've been committed. Uh, it's called pleading the fifth. So uh, if you've ever heard that before, it just basically says that uh, it's the fifth amendment of the constitution and you have a right against self-incrimination and that can carry over into uh, a scenario like we talked about. So kind of an interesting scenario, uh, kind of gave a, a little bit of a outlier of how that thing could, could play out and what it would look like. But be that as it may, I, I really don't think that you're going to be able to succeed with a lawsuit against a frontier or any internet provider for that matter for not providing internet. Now, you know, just to take a step, uh, I've done a decent amount of corporate work in the past. I did spend a little bit of time in a general counsel's office, in a corporate general counsel's office for a place that worked with uh, mobile phone carriers. And uh, it was a multinational company and ran into a lot of different aspects of it. But one of the major pieces of the contract was we had to contract to an amount of uptime and the penalties for not being within that amount of uptime were severe. And by uptime, I mean, they would call it five nines. And what that means is that your uptime will be 99.99999 times. And what that comes down to is it comes down to essentially think it's a couple minutes out of the year that you can be down. Otherwise, you're in breach of contract, which, and I can't remember, spent some time, it was either seconds or minutes that the dollar amount was attached to. So you, if you had an hour that something happened to your system and you were down, the penalties were going to be severe because not only were you dealing with one mobile carrier, you were dealing with several. And, and you look at it and go, okay, well, there's only, you know, I think five or six now in the US, if that Okay, but it was a it was a multinational corporation. So not only did you have the ones here in in the U.S., uh, we had a lot in India, we had a lot in Asia, um, a lot in Europe as well. So a lot of carriers take that that one hour time block and multiply it out. So that is when when you have downtime, there are ways, but that's all contractual. Uh, really difficult, I think, to prove a, a negligence aspect. And my guess is without looking at a frontier contract, they most likely don't have a guarantee of uptime in their contract. So that is the show for today. Glad you all could join me today. We talked about the Redskins. We talked about how the law father got from leaving a, a firm in Ebor to 
you know, starting his own firm. And when we're on uh, Howard, now we have a second office. We've had a second office now for a few months, but we have a second office in Riverview, 301 in Big Bend. I invite you always to come in and say hi. Uh, we do have Facebook portal set up in each office. So if I'm in the Tampa office and you pop in the Riverview office, we can still say hi to each other virtually right on the webcam. Uh, I open that up also anytime client wants to talk by video conference, always willing to do that. So without further ado, we're going to end the show for today. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Always like hearing feedback from you. Lawfather at TampaLawfather.com. Get your listener questions in, please. I really enjoy answering those. Uh, I always answer them on the fly. I never come up with what the answer is going to be before the show. So that is the show for today. Lawfather out. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. You know, with this COVID thing, we're going through uh, these phases and these metamorphoses of people caring, not caring, caring, not caring. Seems like we're in the phase of not caring again. Um, It's funny that, you know, having the radio show, I get a chance to speak to a lot of people. And yesterday somebody called in and he said, uh, well, what about when you played football? Did you ever play with the flu? And I was like, dude, four or five months into this, and you're still calling this goddamn thing a flu. That's the problem. People, there's half our country isn't treating this thing like it's it's a big deal. And if you don't think it's a big deal, just look outside and just look at the numbers that's happening in Florida. And we want to open up schools and we want to do things like all the other countries are doing. There's only one problem. We didn't act like the other countries. The other countries shut her down. Well, well, Japan did it. Well, what, you know, we, we had at the same time as Japan and Japan had like a thousand cases, period. Okay. And very few deaths. Yeah. Japan's smart. They locked her down and they wore masks. That's a smart thing to do. So listen. I just want people to do what's best for our country and that's it. And wearing masks is the best thing for the country and stuff bellyaching and that's it. Period. You can find Ian Beckles flavor in your ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and RadioInfluence.com.